This episode of the Nerd Cave Retro Podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. programs and welcome to the nerd cave retro podcast my name is jason robbins and i'm derek diamond and we got a pretty full show this week so uh derek my friend what have you been up to this week oh work work and a little bit of work so we're uh we're now less than a month away from baseball season so work's getting very busy for me but i have set aside time uh, to play more breath of the wild which i talked about last week it's so so good like I I, the more i play it the more i justify getting the switch for zelda i got so jealous of everyone playing breath of the wild because I, I look on my twitter that's all i see is breath of the wild stuff and i got really jealous so saturday night i sat down and played link to the past on my snes uh that's it's still i, I don't know where i rank breath of the wild yet because i haven't finished it but as of right now, like, you know, Link to the Past is still definite 1B for me because it's really close between that and Ocarina of Time. Nice. I want to play it so bad, but I can't justify spending $300 just to play one game right now. Understandable. Understandable. But once you do get it, you'll love Zelda. It's very, very good. Oh, I know I'm going to love it. I just, is it worth $300 right now to play Zelda? Or can I wait until it's a package game? Because you know they're going to do that eventually. They're going to do a pack-in game with the with the system. They're going to offer the the Zelda system, and yeah. um, I'm going to wait for that. That way, I can go ahead and get the system, get the game, and then I can go ahead and get the Pro Controller without having to spend like four hundred and something dollars for everything. Well, and plus by Christmas you'll have Mario Odyssey that'll be out too, and there'll be you know other games that come out for it as well. So you'll you'll have a variety to choose from. I'm so excited! I haven't been this excited about a video game console in years. And I'll say this: the the tablet, the fact that you can play a, a home console anywhere, it's just so awesome. Can you hear my cat right now? He's outside the door. And he killed his little uh, fluffy fake mouse. And then he like pretends like he's, you know, king of the jungle and starts meowing. So he's right <laughs> outside my door doing that right now. And I'm hoping nobody can hear that because it sounds like a cat dying. No, I, I couldn't hear it. <laughs> so he's but, channeling his inner King Kong. Yeah, he is. But uh, anyway, let's go ahead and move into news for this week. <laughs> Yeah. 
this comes to us from RetroCollect.com, and it says, Yippee-ki-yay, it looks like yet another canceled Nintendo 64 game has been discovered. This time, it's the mythical Die Hard 64 from Bit Studios. Originally planned for a 99 release by Fox Interactive, Die Hard 64 was never actually shown to the press or the public, and the only hints that it ever existed until now were some mentions in magazine articles of the era. It appears that the same Assembler Games forum member who recently revealed the similarly canceled 64 game Rika also has in his possession a very early yet fully playable version of Die Hard 64, a first-person shooter that for all intents and purposes, the blueprint for what went on to become Die Hard Vendetta, which I never played. I haven't even heard of that. RetroCollect reached out to forum member Ten Ahu, who incidentally worked for Bit Studios in the late 90s, for further details. And you can go and, and read this article on RetroCollect.com, and there's also a, uh, a YouTube video at the bottom of the article. I didn't get to watch the, the video, but the screenshots look a lot like... Um, uh, not like GoldenEye mixed with like an early, almost um, like uh, Call of Duty, almost like with the dual wielding and stuff like that. That's exactly what I was thinking, too. I, I skimmed through the video a little bit before we started. Very much feels like a GoldenEye game. It's but... what it looks like. If I was to just see the, these pictures without being, knowing what it is, I would think it was from GoldenEye. I'm not going to lie, if this game had been released, I would have played the mess out of it. Because oh, yeah. I, I love the Die Hard movies, especially the the original trilogy. Some of my favorite... I still say Die Hard is one of the best Christmas movies of all time. Oh, yeah. I'm, anybody that doesn't think Die Hard is a Christmas movie, you're wrong. And the way I look at it, when does it take place? Christmas. Christmas. So it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> but yeah, They I, use Christmas music. For God's sakes, I there was never any good Die Hard games released. Like if you look at the one that came out for the NES, it was a licensed game and it was absolute garbage. It was awful. Um, but this looks like it might have been actually pretty fun. So it, you know, I'd like to get my hands on this if there was ever like a playable ROM out there um, to to pick up. But this looks kind of fun. I would I would have gotten into this game at the time. No, absolutely. And, you know, we've mentioned off and on on this show that most licensed games aren't that good. Yeah. GoldenEye was an exception to that. Like, GoldenEye is a lot of people's favorite Nintendo 64 game ever. And with this, you know, kind of modeling itself after that being in the Die Hard universe, which has a huge following. Yeah. I think this game could have been successful. I think it could have too. I mean, if if this would have been, if you know, I don't know what the gameplay is or the game is at all, but if it was anything like GoldenEye, you know, this could have been up there with GoldenEye as one of the one of the uh, you know licensed games that would have been done well. Because when you think about it, I, I can't think of anything before GoldenEye that was a licensed game that was any good. Yeah, I can't really either. I mean, other than the head, Star though. Wars games for for the Super Nintendo, those actually I thought were really good. But other than that, nothing. Yeah, no, you're you're right. But celebrating something else, um, this year is the 20 year anniversary of the Nintendo 64, and this comes from RetroGamer.net. 20 years since Nintendo first unleashed the N64 upon gamers in the UK, Europe, and Australia on March 1st, 1997. 
In a far cry from today's release practices, the PAL N64 launched nine months behind the Japanese model and six months behind North America's release. Much as it had with the SNES, Nintendo chose to enter the next-generation console market late with the N64, arriving almost 18 months after its primary competitors, the Sony PlayStation and Sega Saturn. This gave it the most powerful machine on the market, and the machine would play host to some incredible games over the years. Mario 64, GoldenEye, Zelda Ocarina of Time, and more remain highly regarded games which define their respective genres. I mean, I, I've mentioned this multiple times on the show. I love the Nintendo 64. It's crazy that it's 20 years old. And once, you know, I, I get finished with my SNES list that I have for this show, I'm going to move on into some Nintendo 64 games. Yeah, There I, are so many great games for that console. Oh, yeah. I regret the day that I sold my, uh, my N64. I really wish I still had it. I ran across a complete one a few weeks ago, and the guy wanted 40 bucks for it, but I only had $20 on me, and I could not talk him down. And he had two of them two of them for $40 a piece. And I, I just didn't have the money on me and I did, I could have left and gotten the money, but I just, I don't know. I couldn't bring myself to do it at the time to leave and go get money and come back. So I kind of let it go. I'm kicking myself right now. I really wish I still had the Nintendo 64. Cause that was one of the best consoles of the nineties. Oh, for sure. And listing, you know, the games that I have that I'll be reviewing eventually. And these are just a few uh, Mario 64, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, Super Smash Brothers, Banjo-Kazooie, Goldeneye, uh, Rogue Squadron, Shadows of the Empire, Pokemon game. Stadium, Paper Mario. So many great games. Not like, to it, mention, it's, it's, up there, it's up there on my favorite console list. Not to mention Resident Evil 2. That was the version that I played was on the Nintendo 64 and... I must have played that game all the way through at least no less than 10 times on that console. That was my favorite game for that console. I completely forgot that was for the Nintendo 64. Cause when you think of resident evil, I think of like PlayStation. Yeah. I don't think of Nintendo. And I thought it was a better version as well, because at, I don't know if you remember the, the PlayStations you used to have to buy memory cards so you could mm -hmm. save your games. I remember the very first time I ever played Resident Evil 2, we didn't have a memory card. I played at a friend, uh, friend's house. We didn't have a memory card, so we tried to play it all the way through and um, ended up not finishing the game. But with the Nintendo 64 version, you could save your games on the, car on the cartridge. Yeah, the, the memory card thing, I remember that took a, a bit to getting used to. Yeah, they were like, like I was I was a Nintendo a kid through and through. Yeah, those memory cards were only like two megs a piece, and they were like, you know, 20, 30 bucks at the time. And that was just, man, we overpaid for stuff back in the 90s. Oh, yeah. But we had to have it. We had to have it, yeah. And that's why I never got the PlayStation until PlayStation 3. Oh, you, so you never had one or two? Well, I, I, well I'm, I had a friend of mine that had the uh, first one, and then I had a roommate that had a PlayStation 2. And then I was an Xbox gamer up until the PlayStation 3. Well, until I, was, I had played Xbox and Xbox 360, and I also had a PlayStation 3 at the time. I had the 360, but then I moved to the PlayStation 4 and left, um, left the Xbox behind. But now I'm kind of feeling like I'm, losing, I'm leaving the PlayStation, PlayStation platform behind as well. I'm ready to move on and, and get a Switch. Yeah, there will be some games that I still play for the PS4, but 
most of the new games that come out, if they're available on the Switch, that's probably what I'm going to get it for. Yeah, that's why I I want to switch. There's so many games coming out that I want to play, and there's nothing I want to play on the PlayStation 4. I've been doing nothing but so I've been doing so much retro gaming lately. I have no desire to play anything on the PlayStation. Yeah, no, I totally understand. But uh, I guess this is the part where we're going to go into this month in gaming history. In 1984, Atari announced the Atari 7800, a next-gen console that's compatible with Atari 2600 cartridges. It is then shelved until 1986 due to the sale of the company and legal issues. I'll actually confess, I have never played an Atari before. Really? I had the 2600. I had a friend of mine that had a 7800, and it wasn't much better than the 2600 because that was uh, came out after the the great video game crash of 83. Um, and by this time, the Nintendo had already taken hold by this time in America. Eight, 1986 was like, that was when Nintendo really took off in the United States and Atari stood no chance whatsoever at that point. Yeah, 86 was just a fantastic year. Oh, yes, it was. I, I think there was a year I could go back in time to. It would be like 86, between 86 and 88. That was like some of the greatest years in history. It's because I was born in 86. Yeah. That's why it was so good. <laughs> and in March of 1996, we had Time Crisis by Namco for the arcade. It was the first game in the popular light gun series of, for the, of the Time Crisis games. I liked Time Crisis in the, in the uh, arcades. Did you like it? I've actually never played them before. It was one of the games that if... It is the game that um, you could that had the little pedal, um, and you could uh, step on the pedal, and you would hide behind stuff, and then you step on you like step on the pedal, and you like pop up. I think that's the game I'm thinking of. I'm like, looking it up right now. Like you could actually take cover. Let's or am see. I just thinking of something completely different? Uh, screen caps from Time Crisis. The logo looks very familiar. Yeah. Oh, you can still play it. I think they actually have a time crisis in the local bowling alley here. Really? Yeah. I miss arcades. I know. There, we have a really good arcade here at at the uh, bowling alley by my house, and then there's the big one at the uh, the Margaritaville uh, on mm-hmm. along the beach. But I haven't I haven't been there yet. Ah, yeah, here it is. The franchise's distinctive feature is its cover system. The player steps on a foot pedal to have the player character emerge from cover and attack enemies and releases the pedal to get back behind cover, protecting the character from any enemy attacks but leaving them unable to shoot. That does sound slightly familiar. I might have seen this in an arcade, but I don't remember ever playing it. Oh, you'd know it if you saw it. If you ever get a chance to play it, it is one of the best shooter video games, like arcade games of all time, I think. I sunk many, many quarters in the time crisis. I'll have to look and see, because we have uh, downtown here, we have uh, a bar called Play, and they have, like a, it's a bar slash arcade, and they have a bunch of those old machines. I wonder if Time Crisis is one of them. It's been a while since I've been there, but I'm sure. they've got... They've got Galaga, Miss Pac-Man. They have, um, they actually have a TV with an old NES <laughs> that's hooked awesome. up to it, and it has like eight games with it that you can play. And of course, they have, you know, your your um, 
your typical arcade stuff like table hockey and basketball and all that stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. It's a it's a cool place. On March 9th, 1996, Super Mario RPG was released for the Super Nintendo, beginning a long-running series of Mario RPGs. I reviewed this a few weeks back, one of my favorite SNES games, and something that I wish they would have made a true sequel to, because out of all the Mario RPGs, like the Paper Marios and the Mario and Luigi series for the DS, those are all really good, but there was something about Mario RPG. It had that perfect blend of... Final Fantasy meets Mario because it was made by Squaresoft at the time and it was just so much fun to play. I I guarantee you I played through that game at least eight to ten times when I when I had my old Super Nintendo. See, I never got to play Super Mario RPG. I did play Super Paper Mario for uh, the Wii, but um, and I actually liked that a lot. I never finished it, though. Um, I would like to go back and finish it, but I never got to play the Super Mario RPG. And it, but it sounds like something that they should kind of maybe dip a toe back into with um, with the Switch coming out. Because, look, I really, really want the Switch to succeed. And they should really... Actually, I'm going to talk about this right now. I had a friend of mine that I work with. We were listening to um, some heavy metal versions of... Uh, NES songs like we were listening to like Ninja Gaiden and stuff like that and we were talking Mm -hmm. about how awesome would it be if Nintendo went back and took like all these great Nintendo games from back in the day like Ninja Gaiden like imagine playing Ninja Gaiden today with realistic looking graphics but the same same side scroll just the exact same game as the original Ninja Gaiden but you've got um You've got updated graphics, like realistic looking graphics, and you've got like heavy metal soundtrack to it. How awesome would that be? Oh, that'd be great. I mean, they they did something similar with Mario. They did the new Super Mario Brothers series. And it's it's good. It to me, it doesn't quite have the heart of the original like NES and Super Mario World games, but yeah. something like that, if they did that with other franchises, I'd be all for it. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to see if if they have a Metroid game come out as well. Like, if they have uh, the Zelda game Breath of the Wild, and then they announce a Metroid game, they they've got a Switch sold at that point. Like, I will buy it for those two games. Well, it's like that Futurama meme: "Shut up and take my money." Yeah, exactly. But uh, and on March 21st, 1996, we've actually got so much 1996 news that we're going to split it and leave some for next week. So this is the last one we're going to talk about for uh, for this this week's this month in gaming history. And March 21st, 1996, Kirby Superstar for the SNES um, is one of the last major SNES releases in the U.S. Also considered to be one of the best games in the Kirby franchise. I never played any of the Kirby games. Really. Never. They're pretty fun. No, not not my favorite franchise, but they are fun games. I remember playing uh, Kirby's Dreamland for the original Game Boy uh, way back in the day, and then I delved into Kirby Superstar a little bit. Um, it is a lot of fun. I, it's a game that I never really got to complete, which is unfortunate. But you know the the Kirby games, I I think they're they're a little underrated in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it, they they just felt a little too cutesy to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just kind of judging it by by its cover. 
like you should never judge a book by its cover, but that just, I don't know, it just seems kind of, I don't know, it just seemed kind of kidsy. It, it does have that look to it, but the gameplay is a lot of fun. I mean, I'll give it, it a I, try. You should. You should. Yeah, the the original the original Kirby game is on the, the mini NES, and, you know, I've delved into that when I first got it, so... Yeah, it was it was nice going back and looking at it. Hmm, that's cool. Actually, um, here in our our Google Doc together, I forgot to paste in what I'm reviewing tonight, so I pasted it in there for you. Uh, I got it. Okay, Sweet. <laughs> my bad. No, it's all good. But before we do get to your review this week, I have to remind you that for you, the listeners of the Nerd Cave Retro podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. And we've been saying this for weeks. We're both huge fans of Audible. If you're a Star Wars fan, they have a ton of stuff for you. I'm still listening to Bloodline. Um, I'm about, I'd say, almost halfway through it. It's getting really good. I, I really like this book. It's it's nice having like a a Leia centric story because yeah. I feel like with all the other books they delve into like the Jedi and the bounty hunter stuff, but not really anything with Leia or the Senate. So it's it's a nice change. Yeah, it's cool because that book is is a lot of not only pertinent backstory of what happens after like between episodes six and seven, but also like a lot of politics about like the fall of, you know, the new Republic and all that kind of stuff. So it's a really interesting, like really good book. I mean, there's a, there's a lot in it. So, you know, you're going to feel like your, your brain is overloaded by the time you're done with it. That's why I've been listening to it in spurts. Yeah. (laughs) Like Like I'll listen to a chapter or two, and then I'll come back to it, you know, a day or two later and then do another chapter and so on and so forth. Yeah. But uh, to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash nerdcave for your free audiobook. All right. And for this, uh, for this week, my review is going to be for the game Super C. Super Contra is a run-and-gun video game by Konami, originally released as a coin-operated arcade game in 1988. It was ported to the NES under the shortened title of Super C in North America and in Europe and Australia as Probotector 2, Return of the Evil Forces. It is the sequel to the original Contra and part of the Contra series. The game stars Bill Reiser and Lance Bean as they are sent to thwart another alien alien invasion. Both the arcade version and the NES version have been re-released in various other platforms since their original releases. I actually, you were there. Well, you were at Pensacon uh, the day that I bought Super C and um, told you that I bought it. I was super excited and um, got to play it uh, over the last couple of weeks. And I actually had a friend of mine, Chris Hall, who played The Mummy and Monsters Anonymous. He came over uh, last weekend on Saturday and we played two player Super C all afternoon. And um, 
I, yes, I cheated and used the Konami code. Uh, we got about four levels in before we were just couldn't get through it anymore because we're old and our reflexes aren't as good as they were when we were younger. But uh, it's still just as fun as it was when I was a kid. This game is definitely up there as one of the greatest like side scroller shooters of all time, especially for the NES. You need to have a copy of this in your NES collection. Two things I want to say, like first impressions of, you know, talking about this game. One, like you playing the music to whatever game it is we review is like my favorite part of this whole show. That song was fantastic. (laughs) Oh, it's definitely got that heart pumping music a lot like Ninja Gaiden. It sounds like it would be like a it's an 8-bit version of a theme from an 80s action movie. Yeah. <laughs> and the two main characters are Bill Riser and Lance Bean. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> and, it, and the cool thing about this game is that not only is it a side scroller but there are you know there are uh, third person type of views, there are like top-down views in this game like and you can move in different directions and it's never the same thing through all the way through. So it always stays fresh and it takes a little getting used to. Like I have forgotten that there were different uh, levels like that in this game because I had literally had not played this game since probably at least 1989, probably. And um, I had forgotten, so it, it takes a little getting used to at first. Like when you go from level one, where it's a side scroller, then you go to level two, where it's the top down, and it, it takes a little getting used to because it, it's completely different when you go from stage to stage. But once you get used to it, it's it's you know it's fun, but it definitely keeps the game fresh as you're as you're going through it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. It says here that two versions of the Super Contra arcade game were produced. There was an English version uh, and a Japanese version. Hmm. Uh, that, that, that was something that, you know, I know we've mentioned this before, but that was really prevalent back in the late 80s, early yeah. 90s, where, like, depending on what continent you were on, the game would be slightly different. Yeah, well, not only that, but named differently as well. Like, like yeah. I said, it was, uh, what was it called in Europe? Europe, it was called Probotector 2, Return of the Evil Forces. And I don't understand why, it, like, what's why they would need to change the name from Contra to Probotector. I feel like sometimes they did that just for the sake of being different. Maybe. I like, don't there's, know. there's really no logic behind it, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, here's the thing the game consists of five stages, which are set in a military base, a jungle, and the alien's lair. Stages one, three, and four are played from the standard side scrolling perspective, while stages two and five employ the top down perspective. Throughout each stage, the stage the player must fight his way through the enemy's line of defense, including a few mid bosses until reaching the final target awaiting the end. Um, and the, here it is uh, you, you can do the Konami code. And you each get ten lives, and um, but if you if you're like me and you suck really bad, um, you have to wait until either the other player dies his full ten lives, or he finishes the stage, and then you can come back to life. Something I did want to ask about the five stages. 
it says stages one, three, and four are side scrolling, and stages two and five have the top down view. Yeah, is that kind of like does that take you out of the game a little bit? The fact that like one level you view it one way, and then the next is completely different. Well, at first it's kind of jarring, but once you get used to it, you kind of you know after you expect it, it's not it's not bad. Like the first time you play it, it's going to be like, whoa, what am I doing now? But after you've played it a couple times, it doesn't matter anymore. It's just part of the game. I gotcha. Yeah, it it seems like it wouldn't really be that big of a deal once you get used to it. But I was I was just curious. Yeah, it says a home version of Super Contra was l- released for the NES on February second, nineteen ninety, and in Japan and in April uh, nineteen ninety in North America, where it was retitled Super C. A PAL version of the NES game titled Probotector Two: Return of the Evil Forces was released in nineteen ninety two. Uh, gameplay and graphics are similar to the port of the first Contra game. Uh, there are three stages unique to the NES version, a high-tech base, a mountain, and an alien nest, all vertical scrolling stages. Um, so does, I never played the the arcade version of this, this. So does that mean the arcade version was all um, top-down? I did not know that. Interesting. Huh. But the coolest thing really, about this really game, specify. yeah, the coolest thing about this game is the power ups. Is as you're going through the level, there are these little, uh, like little missile looking things that go across the top of the screen that are uh, orange colored, and mm-hmm. uh, you shoot those, and then the the power ups fall down. So you kind of have to coordinate with your partner to see who's going to get what power up because some are better than others. My favorite is the spread gun because you can just pretty much just wipe out everything on the screen. Uh, and then there's like a, an electricity gun. There's the, um, cause you start off with just kind of the, um, like a single shot. And then you, the, the first power up you can get is like a machine gun. And that one's awesome. Cause you can just hold the button down and it just constantly shoots. And that's what I like about the spread gun, too, because it, it just constantly shoots by just holding the button down. Hmm. I mean, just looking at the, you know, the screen caps, and I, I have watched a little bit of gameplay of this. It, it looks like your, your prototypical, like, awesome classic NES game. Oh, it is. I mean, this is one of those games that just screams classic Nintendo. I mean, why do oh, you think sure. they put this on the uh, the the Nintendo Classic? Yeah, and I don't know why they didn't put the original Contra on the Nintendo Classic as well. I mean, the, don't get me wrong, Super C is a great game, but if you're gonna put Super C on there, why not put the first one on there as well? There's a lot of games like thinking back on it. I'm thinking, why didn't they put this on the Mini NES, or why not just put a hard drive in it? and an ethernet cable. But one of the things about this game is I can clearly remember uh, advertisements for this game and the comic books of the time. And I just thought the cover art was just so cool. And some of the, the, you know, the advertising imagery they used for this game was just really, really cool for the time. And it is probably cheesy by now, but I think the artwork for this game was great. And this is actually on the Wikipedia page. This is not the Nintendo artwork. I don't know what this artwork is on here. I think this is, yeah, this is the European brochure for the 1988 arcade release. And it looks awful. 
So I'll uh, I'll actually post when I post this onto our um our our website, I'll actually put the NES cover up with it. Sweet. But uh on my scale of one to ten, I'm gonna give this game a solid seven. I mean, it's not the greatest game I've ever played, but it's not definitely not the worst game I've ever played. It's a lot of fun. And, you know, this game is definitely an NES classic and it should be in anyone's collection, whether you're a shooter fan or not. It's still really fun. And I would recommend it for anyone's collection. It's gotten really good reviews. I'm looking at the review scores. Let's see. IGN gave it a seven and a half out of ten. Nintendo Power, four out of five, and Total gave it a 91% out of 100. So, uh, you know, critically, it did really well. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those games where the controls are really tight and really nice. So there's nothing really broken about this game. Um, uh, Unlike a lot of games that I've played for the NES, like Fester's Quest and all those kind of type of games that are just fundamentally broken. Like this game feels nice. It feels like, you know, like you're, you know, Mega Man 2 and like Mario Brothers and those type of games have some have some of the best controls of any video games, which is why they're classics. But this game ranks up there like that because the controls just they're really good. Yeah, and that's that's a very important thing with video games is that the controls feel they got to feel tight. They've got to feel like not just good, but they got to feel almost natural yeah, in exactly. a way. So the, the fact that Super C is like that is is really good. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Like if you have a Nintendo Classic, you've already got it right there. But if you're a retro gamer, you're getting into retro gaming and you have an NES or an, uh, you know a console to play your NES games, definitely pick it up when you find it because it is, is, it is definitely a classic. Absolutely. And that's going to come up for the end of the show this week. Is there anything you wanted to talk about before we left? Um, no, I think I'm good. Uh, I will say for next week, because we have the movie coming out, um, I will be reviewing the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers SNES game. Wow. So if you're a, if you're a Power Ranger fan, definitely come back next week and check that out. Awesome. And I'm not sure what I'm going to do after that. I was thinking of doing something, um, something that I'm, I don't like as well to kind of get out of the way. So I was thinking about maybe doing the three stooges, but I'm not sure yet either. It's it's either going to be three stooges or RoboCop after that. One of those two, whichever one you pick, I will very much look forward to it. All right. But uh, that's going to just about do it for this week. So if, um, let me turn on the music here. If you would like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. You can go to nerdcaveretro.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro. And you can follow us individually on Twitter at jfunktastic and at Derek underscore diamond. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. And we will be back next week with Derek's review of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. So Derek, Eric, tell them what it's all about. May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce. You've been listening to a Nerd Cave Network production.